What is your profession? Welcome to OCR Audio with your hosts, Luke and Jack. So we're here at episode four of the OCR Audio podcast. We've got myself, Luke, Jack. Today we're joined by Mr. Marmite of the obstacle course racing world, uh, James Ruckley. Welcome, James. There's no Marmite about it, mate. Everyone hates me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think a few people like you. We even it out. They like the honesty. This is true. Um, well, so at least two open. people. Say again? At least two people on this line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the odds are going well for me here. Yeah. We should just do a scientific study based on us three about who likes yeah. me, and we'll just generalise that across the uh, racing population. So you'll still get two out of three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you might not like yourself, <laughs> but we do. <laughs> no, so we're going to be talking today about um, a lot of like, obstacle course racing stuff in the UK, um, looking at different races maybe the future of obstacle course racing um chatting about different stuff obviously james had a wealth of experience in the uk scene in obstacle course racing and uh, the world championships and in european races mainly toughest which he's been haunting for a little while um and heading over there to sweden and training so we'll uh, we'll kick it off with a few little questions so we've been chatting recently, James, about um, kind of like obstacle racing in the UK and the future of what's happening with all the um, governing body being disbanded. Mm. Um, what are your thoughts on it all? Well, as we've said over the last few days, um, I think paradox of choice is a very good phrase that I was recently educated in um, by Mr. Steed. Um, mm-hmm. People think they want a governing body, but I think once they get one, they won't enjoy what it entails. You look at um, parkour, and I do a lot of parkour, and I know a lot of people that are on the parkour governing body, and the second they become an official sport, they got funding. And the second they got funding, gymnastics decided parkour is gymnastics. And now gym, the, you know, FIG is absolutely trying to destroy parkour and turning it into their own sport. So I feel that with obstacle racing, you've got to sit on the airing of caution. If this became an international sport, you become governed, and if you become governed, it will change it. You won't have the little races popping up because they won't be able to afford the buy-ins. So you won't have, you know, your muscle acres or your elements, I don't know, just a few. You've got to worry that another sport may come along, as we've discussed with Spartan, did a mm-hmm. deal with biathlon in America, that another sport will come up and just absorb obstacle racing, and then we have to play by their <coughs> rules. It's it's a broad, you know, I mean, it, there's a, definitely a military sport, isn't there, where you have to do obstacle course racing as part of it. Yeah. Um, I know Syria England does it, and you have to worry that, you know, parallels of choice, like I say, you say you want a governing body, but do you want what that entails? We'll have all these people in Team UK, which we'll come to later on, great friends of mine. Um, and they will, they love the idea of a governing body, but all of a sudden you're going to be needing to apply for pro cards, you know, like in triathlon, or you're going to need to prove yourself. They're going to regulate who calls himself elite. Now, is the 55-year-old man in Team UK going to be okay that he's no longer an elite athlete and can't sell, him to, sell himself to his local cafe for a free bacon sandwich every week as an elite athlete um, being sponsored by them? So they're going to they're gonna need to be a little bit more careful because the second you become a sport, things change, regulations change, funding changes things, small races will have to pay in as they did with OCR, um, Okra, Obstacle Racing Association a while back. Mm-hmm. So... I think people want an obscuring body, but I don't think they really understand what it would do to the sport. And is there really enough people in obscuring at the moment to justify having a governing body? Um, I mean, your fun 
fans, your office workers, your weekend warriors, they couldn't care less. And they're the people that fund the sport. So you think they're going to want to pay extra and make the sport more expensive for them to have a couple of guys governing it? I think it's a good idea in the long run. I think for the short run, maybe it's, as I've said three times now, paradox of choice. People think they want it, but they won't enjoy what it brings. Um, you look what Okra did. Yeah. Okra came along. Everyone hated Okra. Everyone hated <laughs> Okra's rules. Everyone hated their band system. Everyone hated that they had a UK championships. It won't be any different this time. It would just be different people in charge. So people need to be careful on that one. Yeah. So how would you go about it then, James? What would you do? I'm giving you the power. I'm staying well clear on this one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I think you've got to be careful who goes in charge. The problem was on the first set of it, it was only a few select people that wanted to start it up, so they were naturally in charge. Then no one wanted to take over the mess. They left, and poor blessing Mark um, did. Wherever you sit on Mark, you know he stepped up when no one else would. Um, and now you look at who's putting themselves forward, and it's a list of egos and people that really want to be known and seen, whereas actually... If you're, you know, you don't want the person in charge of a governing body to be visible. You want them to be working hard behind the scenes. They, the people in the UK are doing it for ego, doing it for name, doing it for right. You know, that's not in the interest of the sport. So for now, I mean, it's not for me to say what happens, obviously. But I personally don't think a governing body is the right thing for the sport at the moment. I think that there are many better things that could happen. Um, and every time you come up with a governing body... Another two governing bodies pop up for the same country. We've now got two world championships. We've got two European championships. We've got a world governing body. None of them are regulated. None of them are official. So they're all just paper. And I don't think at this stage, while the sport is still young, developing, etc., that a governing body would get through Sport England. So effectively, it's not a governing body. It's just a company calling itself a governing body, playing by their own rules. So Making this, money, effectively. Completely. Yeah, that's it. So the people that are playing for ego and want to be in charge of it are realistically just after money. Um, and I don't think it's the right time for it. So, however, that said, I know Foz Sug is heavily involved with it. And there's not many people out there I respect more than Foz. Um, he's extremely fair and a great guy. So if people like him stay involved, I could deal with it. But some of the people whose names I've seen thrown in the ring, uh, it worries me that they may be even more dodgy than people previously, should we say. Mm -hmm. No, I think there's some great points made there. Um, I think for the governing body side of things, more about what the governing body could bring to the sport, that kind of aspects of, you mentioned before, pro cards, mm. um, actually determining an elite section of athletes that could represent the UK, kind of like triathlon. Um, Jack came from quite a triathlon background. Um, you know a bit about like pro cards and stuff. What is your thoughts? Maybe they would be something that's good. Yeah, I mean, or... we were saying this, weren't we, on the, on a podcast a little while ago, that actually it's something that needs to happen in OCR. But I've just listened to James talk, and he's actually put me off it. <laughs> but um, but no, I, I think if you're the 55-year-old guy, like you say, who's trying to get free bacon butties, then great. Uh, I think, though, you have to think sometimes of the top 10 guys. You know, Take Tristan Steve, for instance. I mean, that guy, you know, past Connor Hancock, is probably one of the best guys in the UK, you know. Does he want to be that next step? Does he want to be put in the same cycle as a 55-year-old with his bacon butties? Do you know what I mean? Probably not. So he does want a pro card. He does want that elite level. 
Um, so it's difficult for those top guys that are at the top of the game. Yeah, I think they should respect it and should have that and be called elite. And I, I personally am a believer that you have to work hard for that status. You know, and if someone's going to come and say to me, right, Jack, you want to be elite, I can prove it. Then I go and race and I prove it, you know. But mm. if someone's going to me, oh, no, it's easy. Just do that race and you've qualified and you become elite, then, mm, this that's is it. My, you know. What's qualification for elite at the moment? I think I put it out a post the other day. It's, um, you know, flagging a sponsorship from a company that you're really going to do no good for. It's um, writing, being able to spell the word elite quite often makes you elite nowadays. Um, most of the people there struggle. I've seen a few people misspell that one, actually. Um, or it's being able to afford a Spartan front pass. Congratulations, you've just graduated to elite. And then th- these people, they just... they. You're going to triathlon like your background, right? A good friend of mine is a very good triathlete. Um, he's a world champion triathlete. And they laugh at age groupers where they come from. Age groupers are comical. And then you come into obstacle course racing and it's not. It's a it's a big thing. And I think there's a difference between the sports. But at the same time, you look at the elite level in this country and you varied it across the sports. Our elite athletes are people that can run 34 minute 10Ks, would you say? I mean, I would say that that would put you up there. This guy runs 28 minutes, right? And he can do a set of monkey bars, etc. He's never done an obstacle race, well, he did one. But he wouldn't probably be classed as elite because he dropped off. But yeah, he's going to be the fastest runner on any course you put out there. So I think we have to be very careful about what we graduate as elite. Um, I, I honestly think elite, as someone said to me the other week in another sport, Elite is considered someone that when they turn up has a genuine chance of winning. There is no one that has a genuine chance of winning against John on any day. So, and then you take the professional side of it. You know, so a professional is someone who earns all of their money through a sport. Mm. Well, there are three people in the world that do that. Even John works in a shoe shop. So, you know, if you were to compare professional elite, we've got three or four people in the world. Um, so I think you have to be careful because obviously we're a different sport but at the same time we have to look at other sports and how they do things and in the triathlon world and the duathlon world um, how it's done I'm probably a little bit more harsh on how things are graduated because I like a tough stance on things Uh, I like to know that I'm not good enough for something so I can go and train it and work it whereas a lot of people um, especially in this country they like to be told they're good at things that they're not good at because it's an ego boost and it's comforting to them so I sit on a weird side of things. Um, maybe not many people do, but I like the idea that uh, elite means true elite and you rock up to the world championships. And if you've graduated for the elite, it's not top 10 people to get in there as top one, you know, into, into a race. However, I completely on the turn of it understand that that's not a money maker. So you have to sit there and find it in the middle. But I think we have to be very careful with how we do it. Pro cards, I don't like the idea of because in our sport, there are so many ways of, you know, I could rock up to a Spartan race. I haven't done a Spartan race in a long time. I don't race um, much anymore. But if I ran every Spartan race this year, some I'd finish 10th, 15th in. And if I went to a rural one where no one else is going to be there, I may get second, third. Do you know what I mean? So there's no standardised level of competition across races. Um, so it's very hard to standardise an elite level because people don't show up anymore. The sport's dwindled and a lot of the very best athletes I've seen have gone. Um, so to standardise an elite would be incredibly hard do you think think they go because they get bored so for instance certain people are winning every week week out it must a bit like man city it must get boring i'm sorry you want that next competition don't you i think the boring aspect of it is the fact that we don't 
training in this country is pathetic and the people that train people in this country are hey what's he saying <laughs> <laughs> no like how people the training facilities in this country are awful yeah, um, i train i train in sweden um a lot uh, i think i'm going twice in the next two months um it's cheaper for me to fly there than it is to drive to a UK training facility. The facilities are better. I get a nice day out. It's amazing. People in this country, they're still struggling over walls, right? How, how is that a thing? I ran with um, some people from one of my old race teams at Mud7, and dear God, am I going to get some slack for this. I had to lift them over walls, right? They're supposed to be one of the sponsored race teams, mm-hmm. right? An eight-foot wall. One of them six-foot tall. <laughs> how can you not get over that, right? So while... The sport is getting boring over here is because we're not developing. We're waiting for the slower people to catch up, which is fine. But Tough Mudder don't. They go and build blockless monster and make teamwork, you know, so they, they progress. Sweden, I went there for Toughest Oslo, finished 28th out of 30 for the Elite Wave. Horrific, horrific day for me. Never done a rig before, failed it. I stood there and watched as people were 45 years old and overweight, bal- you know, just glided across this rig. As me and loads of other English elite people stood there and go, yeah, we just failed that. And you've got these 45-year-old overweight men just doing it. Because at Toughest, they don't lower the quality for the masses. They expect the masses to up their game through the race. Um, They've got a different aspect out there. You know, they're a very active country, etc. We are not. So it's different again. But I feel that the races get boring because we don't develop the obstacles. And we don't have the natural terrain they have. So we have to develop the obstacles because otherwise we're just running through a field, jumping over a wall or getting a leg over a wall or yeah. falling off of a wall. So many people have problems with walls. Um, so, yeah, like we're not developing it. No, but it's interesting you mentioned toughest because that's something I wanted to uh, approach on via the elite side of it. Mm. Toughest, um, I've ran two toughest races. I know you've ran multiple ones. Yes. Um, I really like the way that they've structured their elite. Mm. So they have the elites, and you can't just turn up and race elite. You have to race the elite qualifier and gain enough points across the season to race elite unless you get uh, wild-carded in or you are already a standard of athlete that could race elite. Yeah, I think it's 39 minutes for 10K. I think that's the Yeah. Yeah. Which is 39 minute 10k is... It's borderline, it's a bit... It's not that quick, you know what I mean? It's it's quite achievable. Yeah. I would call it, it's 39 minute 10k, and then it's a, it's top 50 at a previous race. Mm. And last year in the toughest UK event, I think I came 30th, but I was well off the pace of the elites. They were like top 20, Mm. and the points are top 15. And I was... Good shirt on, Luke. Well, yeah, you know. Um, No, it was quite far. But even going to that race, the way the toughest do it, when you were, when I was racing in the elite qualifiers, you went up, you had your race briefing before, you were told what you can do on the course, you were told what you can't do. It had a very uh, more of a a professional vibe to it than I had every other race apart from the European Championship race last year in uh, Andorra for Spartan. You look at the same. You look at venues for Toughest, right? They've got Oslo, which is their ski slope race, mm-hmm. where they have a, an entire infrastructure in place. They pick venues where there are things in place. Malmo is their town centre. It's not quite the same. It's on the sorry, it's on the beach. It's where they're based. Um, and they pick generally places that have got good infrastructure. Yeah. So that they don't have to worry about things. So they've got meeting rooms. They've got briefing areas. Whereas in the UK, you get races that just rock up. And they put up a little starting pen in a field and then you run around fields. Yeah. So 
the toughest have a lot more money. They're backed by some good people and they, they pull in thousands and thousands of people every time. But it's because they've worked hard in doing that. They wouldn't rack in 6,000 people if they just turned up to an empty field and put a couple of stakes in the ground. Um, so I think... I think the thing is the obstacles in toughest, I know I haven't... The only rig that's ever came close to the toughest rig was World Championship rig at Canada this year. Mm. And I'd still rate toughest rig um, to be harder. Yeah, yeah. This, this is it. You look at other countries. Um, have you ever seen a South African course? A warrior Jesus, race. Jesus Christ, it terrifies me. And all <laughs> I do is hang off my arms. We're talking like 200, 300 metres of continuous rigs. And so you get to the races, and I know a few of the guys, and they get to the World Championships, and they laugh at it, and they're like, it's a trail run. Well, yeah, of course it's a trail run. You know, you've got 300 metre long rigs in your country where they're diving through hoops and having to catch ropes above the, suspended above the ground. If you touch your ground, you're out. So, yeah, of course it's a trail run. So it's all relative to where you are. But I don't think in, in South Africa you've got people complaining about the complexity of the rigs. They just get on with it. Yeah. So, um... Well, wusses in England, aren't we? Let's be honest. We are wusses. Oh, completely, completely. We're uh, quick to moan about things, and like you were saying earlier, we don't just shut up and get on with it and improve. Don't, don't even get me started on that. I don't know if you've ever read my UK Champs review, but I've got people who call it my head on a stick when I said get on with it. Um, yeah. So completely agree with you on that one. It's it's a lot of small-minded people that aren't happy to train, aren't willing to put the effort in, and then they can't do something, and then they demand change rather than change with themselves or whatever. You know, No other country would do that. So... Yeah. I'm only a shot after this. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but um, even like looking at some of the races in the UK, or quite a lot of them, how technical would you call the races in the UK? I would say the rigs at Spartan, Twister, they're pretty simple. Mm. They're not too... Would you even class that as a rig? Well, this uh, is the thing. Just a, not even a rig, but that's a moving but kind of... how many of people fail Twister? Twister? Yeah. That's like, like, 90%. Yeah. Well, like, a lot... <laughs> How hard is that? It's, I mean, maybe a bit arrogant here. I've not done Spartan, but I've been on a Twister obstacle many times now, and I don't think I've ever stumbled. It's if if you've worked on the basics and the groundwork, and you you have enough. So this is the thing: people in the UK can't handle obstacles because they're not physically strong enough. If you're not physically strong enough, you're not safe. If you're not safe on a course, you shouldn't be on the course. Yeah, and and that's a very very hard thing for people to hear. But who's who do you think the responsibility for that is? Do you think it's the racer's responsibility to make themselves stronger? So I think you've got to look at it two ways. If we went on to a well, Spartan race, had it a few years ago, didn't they? They had mm-hmm. an A-frame collapse and break a guy's legs. Um, I don't know if you're aware of that. It's a while back. It's a few few member managers back. They had a big A-frame. It collapsed on a guy. Um, so I heard it was poor. I did the race. Now, that's negligence by the race. The A-frame collapsed. Fair enough. The guy can blame them. But if a racer like this weekend at Nuts, where I saw a woman hanging upside down two and a half metres in the air off of a slack line that she had continuously fallen off of with just her hands, so she puts her feet above her head when it's wet, muddy and slippery. Now, if she falls off two and a half metres to the floor, can the race not be angry at her for being so stupid? Because if she then hurts herself, the race is going to take that bad press and affect their business. She ended up falling over very, very badly and landing on her neck, being carried off on a spinal board. So... But that's because she wasn't strong enough to tackle an obstacle. She failed the monkey bars, which were probably 10 metres long. No, not even that, 8 metres long. Yeah. But, how? you know, you need to be strong enough to handle the race. Otherwise, you're physically unsafe to be on course and you could injure yourself. You don't want to be up a rope climb and find that you're not strong enough to get yourself down. No. 
It's true. It's probably two things. Like you need the strength and you need some technical ability to actually undertake the obstacles. Completely. Because where did she learn to put her feet above her head? Oh, idiots shouting at her. I'm not, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hold punches here. Uh, yeah, that's what but um, I think I, I think so. I think technique is more almost an application of strength. Mm. So you cannot have technique without strength. At the basic level, you cannot hang off of a monkey bar without enough grip strength. At the basic level, you cannot pull yourself forward if you don't have enough core strength and leg strength to kick forward to reach the next bar. Yeah. The problem is people think that they're going to gain more strength by repeating monkey bars with that bad technique. Whereas they'd be better while trained doing some actual resistance training, strength training, breaking down motor patterns, learning movements and working on it and looking at how parkour people would do, you know, movement, etc. Mm-hmm. Where they learn the basics and then they build on it. Whereas we don't build on it. We learn the basics and we just train the basics. But the basics don't work in the mud, in the rain. So no. you see people fall off the nuts. You saw in the World Championships, as soon as the monkey bars got wet and muddy, <coughs> how many people had the monkey bars at the Worlds in the elite wave? Yeah. Like, come on, Really? Well, yeah, if you go back and look at the, the world, you look at how many people lost the band in the pro wave. Yeah. And you look at the big name casualties, even in the 3K race. Mm. Who couldn't make it across the, the green rig at Worlds? There were some massive names in OCR. Didn't complete that rig. So this is, it was a hard rig, but it wasn't I would I would so say it wasn't hard. hard. I, I had no problem. I made it across, and I know quite a lot of people did, but... Technique and strength-wise, you're looking at some people that did fail it. Mm. They could have failed it for num- many reasons. Mm. But it's quite difficult to look at it and think, damn, did, were they not strong enough? No, they were definitely strong enough. Were they not technique enough? No, they were definitely had the technique. So were they not thinking? Were they not switched on? Did they have bad luck? Uh, there's a lot of things to look at. Yeah, so I mean, take luck out of it because everyone gets an unlucky one. Of course. Um, but then you put technique and strength in. Mm. Dead hang is my enemy, right? If you're dead hanging as training, tell me what that's useful for in a race, right? If you're dead hanging in a race, you fucked up, mm. right? Why are, you, why are you motionless? So if you're going to dead hang, do it with movement. Do it as a pull up, do it with swinging around, do it as flying monkeys where you release and catch, whatever. But don't just sit there and hang. In a race, that green rig, people failed it. Failed it. I don't understand why, right, personally, because they didn't train for it, right? So they may have sat there and drilled technique, but the second you've run up and down a mountain and you're out of breath and your legs are tired and you stumble to leg lock, technique's out of the the window. But if you're 10%, 20% stronger, you've got 10%, 20% extra amount of time to leg lock that rope, Mm -hmm. to move on. Um, The strength, that part of it, allows you to do more easier. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah. So I feel like that's more of a beneficial aspect to it, but no one seems to have to do that. It's very hard to explain, but even at parkour, there are people that are very skinny and weak and they can't do something, but the people mm. that are slightly stronger do it. But it's not that they're using strength. It's that they're applying their strength into the technique yeah, and making it around. Yeah. So I feel like it's very, very difficult to say. Personally, I feel like technique is an application of strength. If you are strong enough to do something, Mm-hmm. then there's no reason you can't do it unless you're just being an idiot. Yeah. And you see a lot of people just being an idiot with things. Of course. And like you have the thing where people are really strong, but they just haven't learned the, the correct technique, technique yeah. which is the other way around. They yeah. need to learn the technique. But a lot of people are going to come to obstacle course racing and not be strong enough, which yes. is the main thing. But can you learn a good technique easily 
if you're seriously weak and under strength. No. It's going to be considerably easier to apply a technique and retrain it and retrain it without getting tired, without getting injured, if you are a little bit stronger. Yeah. So. And that's another thing. You mentioned injuries. Mm. If you are stronger, you're not more than likely not going to sustain as many injuries because you have more strength to your muscles, more strength yeah. to your joints. Well, you see people, you know, I saw, I saw someone describe Stairway to Heaven as a purely technique-based obstacle, and I couldn't help but laugh. You're doing a pull-up every single time. If you can't do a pull-up, you're unsafe on that obstacle. Because if you've got, what, two inches of finger on a wet, slippery ledge, and you're having to swing your body weight around by a wet, slippery ledge just to get your fingertips up the next foot, mm. that's unsafe. You shouldn't be allowed to do that because it's dangerous. You fall off, you hurt yourself. It's a big way from the top, which is where you've got to transition. It's pretty, you know, pretty treacherous sometimes. You don't want to be doing that. And nuts, they closed it because they were worried someone would fall. Yeah. But if you've got enough strength to do a pull-up, solidly you don't have to worry about placing your next hand and swinging around because you know you've got the core restraint the leg restraint the forearm you know everything can be locked off and you could just simply just raise yourself up yeah um so when i see people say you know technique for that i'm like no things like rings completely rings is all technique you just need enough grip strength to physically hold yourself and enough arm strength to swing yourself under your body yeah but things like stairway to heaven I just, I don't understand how people can say it's a technique-based obstacle. If you're using technique and swinging, technique in that is the application of strength and the correct pattern of movement. Yeah. Because you want to be explosive. Like yesterday when we went climbing with that mm -hmm. dino. Yeah. You had the strength. You just needed to work the technique. But if That's you didn't it. have the strength to jump there. I would never get you would the never get near to work it. the technique. Yeah. So. so I think you need, I'm not saying it's all strength, but I'm saying that, you know, if you need to work on one aspect of it, you can break it down into strength. First time I ever did a salmon adder was the first time I ever tried a salmon adder because I spent all week drilling explosive high pull-ups yeah. uh, and shoulder presses. Because what's a salmon ladder? It's an explosive pull-up and then a shoulder press quicker than the bar drop, the bar that you drop with the bar. Yeah. But this is that next level of training though, isn't it? It's like, I mean, I'm a PT and I train guys and mm. they all think they can do these races, Spartan races. It's not until they see how I train then they realise it's so specific. Yeah. And not even that, like, um, you know, like bucket carry, for instance. You know, okay, the bucket's heavy, but for me, that's how you carry it, you know? Yeah. Um, when you're bringing carries, I'm out because I've got no <laughs> idea what these things. I'm dreadful. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Well, I'm just saying, like, and then you've got specifics as well. So, like, the worst thing for me is when a client will say to me, oh, it's raining outside. I'm like, hold on, hold on. You've got a race in a couple of weeks. What happens if it's pissing down the rain? You know, <laughs> let's get specific. Let's go out there and get in the rain. Because let's be honest, if you're going to foul a rig or monkey bars because it's wet and slippy, it's because it's wet and slippy. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, you know, you can dead hang all you like, but if it's wet and slippy, you ain't going to hang for shit, you know. And this is the thing, when it's wet and slippy is when you need to embrace that strength. Because yeah. just because a rig is wet and slippy doesn't mean it's not doable. It means that your technique that you've learned in the dry is now irrelevant, right? Yeah. Which means you have to change technique. It's a new now, skill. Yeah, completely. And it's in those moments that strength really comes into it. Because if a rig is wet and slippy, I'm no longer hanging straight arm swinging between things. I am holding every single attachment in the middle of my chest against my sternum. Yeah, and to do that, I am using all of my back and all of my bicep, and I'm holding myself there. And then I'm reaching, holding with one hand, and pulling the next one in. Now, there are other ways to do it, but is there a safer way that doesn't involve rotating your grip around that obstacle through the weakest planes of motion on a wet, muddy ring? Yeah. I don't think so. Unless you've got grip tape on there, I don't think you've got much choice. When I mean, you look at... um. Skull Valley this year, they went and put grip tape on it because people couldn't do a set of monkey bars in a different moon, a different range of motion, or a different plane of movement. You know, if monkey bars are wet, I immediately go to crabbing, 
sideways, which I was laughed at when I first started doing it, because I'm no longer rotating my grip under my weight. Mm. I'm holding it, locking it, and 90 degree arms, I'm not slipping. Mm. So I'm not saying, again, again, the strength thing is more as a backup. Yeah. It's not always the primary way of doing things, and I'm very good with technique nowadays. But if your technique has failed you, it's always good to have a bit of strength as a backup, knowing that you can pull yourself back up to recover, no matter how tired you are. Um, and I think that's the thing. And so, but yeah, completely what you're saying, get up in the rain and train, because every technique is going to be different. Even when you go between scaffolding bars, the parkour place I have, uh, I go to, um, uses three different widths of scaffolding bar. Yeah. I do a different technique, flying monkeying off each one differently, because my grip is different dependent on the width of the bar. So you need Hold on, to... there's three techniques for flying monkeys? Oh, there's more than three. I'm <laughs> going wrong. Cheers. Yeah. No, but even um, like looking back to where we started, like the future of obstacle course racing. Oh, God, yeah, UK. I got off track. Um, but <laughs> now we're talking about training. We don't have enough training centres, enough places in the UK to accommodate this next level of training. Yeah. Do you think there needs to be mixed more with going to rock climbing, parkour places, bouldering places to learn those other things as well, build that different type of strength? Yeah, so I train in any discipline I can find. Um, I do a huge amount of strength work and explosive work in the gym um, mm-hmm. for pull-ups. I do probably, honestly, several thousand a week. But it's got to the point now where a pull-up to me is like taking a footstep to someone else. It's not an issue. Um, I can explode, I can clap, I can do a clapping muscle up, I can do whatever I need to. You put me a challenge, I'll get it done. Yesterday with the dinos, mm. the power from pull-ups is, is lovely, it's great. You then go into climbing. And it's really good because you're going to work up a body strength. But it's a lot of... And then rip your hands to pieces, Luke. Yeah, Rip your hands. Um, it's a lot of... Girl. Yeah. <laughs> I rip mine at parkour afterwards, so I can't talk. Uh-huh. Uh, and mine's considerably less, for, you know, less, uh, less worse. Um, so climbing's brilliant. And it's very good for working your core control. But again, unless you're overhanging, all you're doing is stepping up a wall and replacing your hands. And if we're hanging off of a rig... Is it really representative of a nice tiny finger hold? Now, it's your palm strength rather than your fingertip strength that you need in obstacle racing. Mm. So I like climbing because it's something else for me to do, but you'll very rarely see me use my feet on a wall. I'll normally just be canvassing it because it's more representative of what I feel I need to train. So while I like climbing, and I think it's very good for your core, your overall um, coordination and learning to move big muscle groups, arms and legs at the same time in a dyno, for example, I'm much more comfortable when I train it just using my arms because I feel that's more representative. Parkour is unbelievably useful. Um, There are parts of it that do not translate at all. Do not try and put your hands on a wall and Kong over it because you will slide off. Do not try and do various bits like that because, you know, foot flick rounds and climb ups because they won't always work in the mud. But I've never, ever seen on an obstacle course someone do a lashay or fly a monkey, as we call it. It's called a lashay properly. Yeah, I've never seen anyone do it properly. Um, I've seen people do it dangerously. I've seen people teach people how to do it dangerously. But from someone who hangs around with people that do lashes a distance in excess of five meters, let me tell you, I've never seen anyone do it properly at 1.8 meters. So people should get down to somewhere like parkour, learn to move, learn to control their body. And, and things like calisthenics for training, mm. because what is every obstacle other than a carry? Every obstacle is a manipulation of your body weight. So train your body weight and get used to it. Yeah. So with no training centers over here, well, I mean, there are limited training centers and I don't always think they're necessarily coached best. Um, uh, there's definitely a few out there in the UK, but 
just saying that there's not enough. We need more. And the quality is not enough. And the quality of the centre, there are some great ones, but you're looking at Sweden, for example. They've got Extreme Fabrican. You've got um, OCR Ninja Lab, Toughest Lab. Which is, and then what you've got in... Holland's um, incredible. Holland's got some. You're looking I mean, at, how long have those guys been going? Like, in, in terms of, like, established? So, Toughest Lab is obviously just... I don't know if you know, it used to be, or when it first came out, it was just a warehouse, Toughest Sport, to do all their work from. And they right. decided it would be done as a design lab for their obstacles. So what they would do is do their work and they'd spend a few hours just moving obstacles around, putting trampettes onto walls and like doing trampolining to pegboards. And it was like a play factory, which they then opened up as a training centre. Right. Um, the OCR Ninja Centre is run by the head of MIT uh, Tough Team, Camillo. It's at Gothenburg. Uh, that opened up maybe two years ago now. It's all right. It's a good little place, good to train. Um, and then Extreme Fabricans, a ninja centre, but it's, the, it's a proper training centre. So in one corner, you've got wrestling. In another corner, you've got CrossFit. The next corner, you've got um, like pure Ninja Warrior skills. And then you've got rigs. You've got pegboards. You everything you can imagine, they've got it. And people go yeah. from all over the place to go and train there. I mean, I fly there. I'm going there twice in the next two months. I fly there all the time because it's incredible. The training is unbelievable. Let's see, that sounds more like you. They're mixing everything into one, which is more what training needs to be done. Like yeah. You need to train obstacles, but they've got the CrossFit stuff, which you could do some strength and mm-hmm. some wads. You've got the probably the Ninja Warrior stuff is going to be a level above what you're ever going to face at an obstacle course race mm-hmm. anyway. So even training that will improve you. But I couldn't pick a place in the UK that's very similar to that at the moment. Well, that's because we come back to what you said earlier. The sport isn't big enough in the UK for any investment, any gym to take that plunge. I think personally, if someone came in and said to me, right, Jack, I've got, I don't know, 20 million. What would you do? Then it would be silly not to do something like that, because actually I think you would have almost, well, you'd have an abundance of people wanting to turn yeah, up. Yeah. yeah, but I think the thing of it as well is, you look at um, America, incredible training centres, but they're all Ninja Warrior. Mm-hmm. You look at Sweden, incredible training centres, but there's OCR Ninja Centre. It's Extreme Fabrican, which is a Ninja Centre. They're all Ninja Warrior-based training facilities. You look at Swedish Ninja Warrior, it's proper American style. It's outside. It's, come on, you can do this. You look at English Ninja Warrior, it's like, <laughs> that mug fell in the water, what a dick. Yeah. Um, so why would you invest in a training centre? Because this country just laughs at people that fall off obstacles. Yeah. Whereas in Sweden, it's a legitimate sport. So that's why they've got the training centres. And we have Keith and his field of four walls. So I think, uh, again, it's we haven't progressed in the UK to that next level. Mm. Ninja Warrior in Sweden and America are on a huge level. The Ninja Warriors in America are making massive money. Mm. Um, even I went to auditions for Ninja Warrior last year the UK version, and we were talking to the producers and they said, look, if we pick however many, 50 or even 100 of the most capable athletes in the UK to the English Ninja Warrior, it'll be a totally different show. It won't be Ninja Warrior as we know it on the TV where you have a nice laugh at some people that fall off. Like It's kind of like X Factor for sport. Yeah, You can laugh at the not-so-good ones, then you can see the really good ones, and there's been some amazing people on the show. There's been some OCR people on there. But, um, All of the guys that do really well, you look at them, parkour. Yeah, Tim Sheaf from the Costa, a lot of parkour athletes get on there. Toby Cigar, um, they're all exceptional high-level parkour people because um, they learn to move, they learn to control their body weight. So it seems like 
if Ninja Warrior took forward and OCR went forward, it could link in and help each other as like an overall sport pushing forwards. Yeah. It will create more training centers, more opportunities for crossovers between the sports, mm. people doing both. So that could be a kind of like a sub future for the uh, OCR. World but again, sport. you then have to you look at, you know, is then obstacle racing and Ninja Warrior. If one of them became a governing body and the other one was already a governing body, would one absorb the other, have to play by the other's rules? Um, again, yeah. like parkour and gymnastics. Parkour finally became a sport. Gymnastics is trying to ruin it. Not gymnastics, <laughs> but their governing yes. body. Um, yeah. And you've got you've got people going around spray painting, and the gymnastics governing body is called Fig in in short. And you've got people all over the world going around and spray painting "fuck the Fig" on every kind of, you know, every billboard they can find. That's how passionate they are about how they're ruining their sport. It's a paradox of choice. You link it to another sport, you have to play by their rules. Might not like it as much. Um, standards would increase, so it's great for me. I'd love it. Um, takes the running out of it. Brilliant. Um, don't have to train that. But other people may not like it. So you have to you have to be cautious about what you don't know. Yeah, for sure. It definitely. You're looking at parkour was kind of like an underground sport, mm. and then it ended up going not mainstream, but it came more to like people's vision. People wanted to train it. People wanted to take it up as a sport. It wasn't just underground kids jumping between buildings, mm. doing flips and stuff off ledges. Obviously, we don't condone jumping between buildings and flips. We, we never it's wish for sick, people to we jump. Don't condone it. <laughs> Make good videos. Oh, yeah. So good. No, we just send James out for that and let him test, <laughs> test the ledge first. I'm alright. I need to learn to flip. <laughs> but um, it's similar to OCR. It came from kind of like an underground route or came from what tough guy in the uk mm. a bit of a, a out there kind of race that was totally different kind of hardcore style race and it's evolved into more of what we'd call a sport today or what represents at the moment to be a sport so it's yeah it's definitely what you said before it's going to be a choice for some people at the end of the day and they might not like where it ends up mm. but it may go there in different ways it's basically going to be Brexit mate everyone's going to vote no one's going to like the result it's going to be brilliant <laughs> yes we, we already know what happens it's happened with Brexit but um, yeah this return to um, so we spoke about Toughest a little bit earlier on mm. um, as some of you might know this year there doesn't seem to be a Toughest race in the UK which I'm actually very saddened about I really enjoy the Toughest races I managed to do two so far one in Gothenburg in 2016 and um, I did the UK one last year I didn't do the first UK one and um, we've all heard that there were some not so great reviews about it don't even get me started because I can tell you what happened there uh, well, there are <laughs> there are some stories behind the, that first attempt that um, probably some people know and a whole reason why it wasn't taken as good as it should be but last year's one, I really loved it in uh, the UK. I thought they did a really good job with the race. Um, I'm actually quite saddened that it won't be back. And um, the reasoning behind it, I think, um, is out there. Some people know that they can't come back to UK now because of Tough Mudder. And they're... You're shaking your head, you don't know. They're, uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Europe's toughest mudder has... Same word, toughest, I guess, in it. There's a whole legal dispute or something that they cannot return to the UK. So they're not going to be doing a race here. If there's something different, toughest 
more than happy to reach out. Just let us know. But that's what we've heard. However, toughest, what, 50, 60 quid to enter? Yes. You can get return tickets to Copenhagen for about 20 quid on a good weekend. 80 quid for a race weekend. You can fly out in there in the same day. It's cheaper than some races over here by a long way. And I'll tell you what, standards are a hell of a lot better. So don't think you can't do toughest because I mean, my flights to Stockholm are £17 return at the end of this month. Yeah. So don't think you can't afford to go train or do the race because it's dirt cheap. No, definitely. The Ryanair as well do a lot of uh, £10 flights every now and then. Also, plug, standing plug, in. plug. <laughs> you also yes. get a free lollipop stuck to your chair from the previous customer Ryanair flight. So, and and no, an applause. Yeah, yeah. And no leg room. So yeah. Yeah. what else do you need? And you can't wee either. It's true. But, um, but yeah, Ryanair, if you want to sponsor the show, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> free flights, I don't mind. I don't think you were that kind of seedy Ryanair company <laughs> kind of show. Well, <laughs> we've lured you in for I've this reason, James. I've got a Norwegian Air Company flying myself, of course. <laughs> we do love Norwegian Air as well. Um, but, yeah, Toughest is definitely a great race. And they've um, they've just got one in Finland this year as well, which would be a great race to do. Isn't that an um, orienteering race? They are doing an orienteering race in Finland as well as a normal one, I believe. So that looks very interesting. Orienteering obstacle course race. I'm definitely uh, going to have to check out which weekend that's on. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, it's too far. Yeah, just too to far. clarify, uh, north faces downwards on a compass, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mate, I'm still the guy that needs sat-nav to get, like, a mile down the road, honestly. <laughs> my, yeah, not not good. Oh, dear. Um, no, that's good. So, a few other things we had on the list to chat about today. So, we spoke a little bit about it before, training, rigs. Um, we've been talking about rigs in UK races. Um, so, I'm going to open it up to you two. Do you think the rigs in the UK races are too easy? Well, let me throw this one out there. They're two to three hundred metres long in South Africa. And in Sweden, they put balls and climbing hods on it. So you ask me if I think two rings, a monkey bar, a nunchuck with a grip hold on it is tough. I say to you, sir, <laughs> jog on. <laughs> um, they're easy. They're too easy. I think that if you're going to put a rig out there, make it a rig. Otherwise, it's just a monkey bar with a ring at the end. Mm-hmm. Point. So, I mean, Jack? Yeah, no, I agree. Think? I agree. I mean, I haven't done half the races you have. Um, and I've really, in all fairness, last year I've only focused on Spartan, which aren't so keen on their technical rigs. Um, I mean, Challenge Cup was probably the, the most recent race I've done where they've done multiple rigs. Mm. And even then, everyone was achievable. You know, it wasn't like, yeah, okay, my grip was killing me. But in, in general, they were achievable, you know. So, um, I mean, my, my favourite rig experience is I went to Toughest 24, 24 hours, many laps as you can, of a one kilometre horse track. So it's on gravel. There's an obstacle every 100 metres. That's grim, right? Four people in a team. Uh, Axel Mendes, I think he was on like 75 laps out. So he ran 75k. That means he did a set of rings that were 25 metres long 75 times. He did a set of monkey bars that were 20 metres long 75 times. He did walls, Bulgarian bag carries, tricep walks, high walls. 75 times the last obstacle was a platinum rig did it 75 times without fail he didn't didn't even scuff his hands up so and that was a rig that i did on the first lap and didn't manage it again so you asked me if rigs over here are hard Mm. and i say this kid can do admittedly this was a few years back first rig i'd ever seen second rig i'd ever seen had done no training on them had no idea of technique had no strength i was weighing like 51 kilos i mean stupid um but you asked me if 
if the rigs here are hard, that rig I couldn't get across in seven in sixty attempts. In the UK, I don't I don't know the last time I felt a rig. I think it was UK Championships at the last obstacle I failed. Um, so the rigs here are easy. The rigs abroad, they're something to look at. Yeah, no. I think with um, the OCR World Championships coming to the UK this year, mm. I would love to see them bring the toughest rig or a rig of that sort to the UK because I, I don't think they'll be bringing the rigs that were in Canada last year because they were from American races. Um, Green Beret Challenge was one of them, and I don't know. Was it or Bullfrog, one of those? Bullfrog, but that went out of business, so I don't really understand. They probably just bought the rig off them and painted. But more than likely, they'll have, I would say, I'd hope they brought a toughest rig. Um, And I know a lot of of the UK people are going to be taking part in the race. Is it going to be a big surprise when they have a rig that probably none of them would have done in a UK race? It would be very interesting to see the uh, completion from that rig. Yeah, I'm interested to see the rigs at Nuclear because... I, I haven't know. done Nuclear, so I don't know the rigs, but um, I know you guys did Challenge Cut. Um, what were the rigs like? Did, did they have a low rig? Well, I didn't actually do Challenge Cut. Uh, I didn't have my name on a shirt. But I've done their races before. I've done rigs there before. And everything's so muddy that I question how they'll do a rig because I'm happy in the mud. But even I can't hang off of a rope if it's caked in two inches thick of mud. So I wonder what they'll do and whether they'll change it up. Might have to wait and see. If, if it's muddy or if they have just like a dry. I mean, for the Challenge Cup this year, they did like sawdust. So oh, when you got to, but the actual obstacles where you needed the bloody sawdust, they didn't have it. So it was like, well, where's the sawdust? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so. the sawdust is all well and good until some idiot in a wave before you has no idea what the hell they're doing and hasn't trained on a rig, goes and puts yeah. their feet on a ring. Because you're not sawdusting up your feet when you get there. So then all of a sudden it's coated in mud. It's never the hands that are a problem. You know, if yeah. you get the rig and it's muddy, it's not people's hands. People clean them. It's their feet, and they let their feet throw a ring above their head. Mm-hmm. Um, so sawdust is brilliant, but unless you've got clean shoes, yeah, may not be the smartest idea. So. Or you should put a rig on the start line. That's what I do. <laughs> 200 people wide. That'd be great. Yeah, that's a great idea. RD, James, like it. Yeah. <laughs> Mega rig. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Okay, so I think consensus there. Rigs are too easy. Perfect. So we're just rolling into the next section. Um, last little bit we got on there is um, Team UK. So you went out to uh, the OCR World Championships this year, and UK was highly represented by a lot of people that went to the championships, but. I see a lot of other countries having kind of official teams and elite teams to go and actually represent them at championships and certain other races, um, especially even Spartan Race are having like teams from countries going and represent. As we're having the OCR World Championships in this country, what are your thoughts on Team UK as a broad thing and maybe that we need to have it as a official kind of team? I feel it's safer for me to just say no comment to anything Team UK related. <laughs> um, no, like, oh, I don't know. Other countries do it right, we do it wrong. Right? Mm-hmm. Team UK is no longer about representing the country. Team UK has become a thing. So I've got no problem with the concept of Team UK. Mm-hmm. I've got no problem with some of the people in Team UK. That's going to go most, let's not be too bored. Um, but it's turned from a let's be a supportive team to, oh, hi, 
My name's Keith, and I'm 48, but I race for Team UK in the Journeyman Wave because I've got too much money. Will you sponsor me as my local cafe and give me a granola bar and I'll hashtag about how amazing you're It's no longer about sport. Team UK is called Team UK because the idea of calling it Team GB was rejected by governing bodies of sport in this country. Mm -hmm. So don't go suggesting you're a national athlete because you're not. You're... I'm not, I, can't even be, I can't even be nice about it. <laughs> right, so if you're not training like an athlete... Name me an elite athlete that's in Team UK. Go. What, that went out to OCR Worlds? That's in Team UK. Went or didn't? <clears throat> Connor Hancock was there. Is he Team UK? I don't think he was. There you go. Next one. In the Team UK. John's not Team UK. Connor's not Team UK. Atherton's not Team UK. McDonald's not Team UK. Brackley's not Team UK. As far as I'm aware. Yeah. Can you name one? I don't know the actual list, but uh, there we go. I would kill. What's the What's the Euros one looking like? You saw, you've seen that Euros one again. I could really couldn't name somebody that I would class as a uh, as an elite as an elite. So there's my point. Team UK they sell themselves as an elite race team for this country, representing the country, and I've got no problem with that. I have problems with the stories I hear about people that used to be in Obstacle Race magazine team and now in Kitbrick's team. And I'm saying that just said so you know who it's going to be, but I'm not saying any names, who message companies saying, can I have a rig? And then when they get quoted a price, they say, oh, but I'm a Team UK athlete and I'll give you media sponsorship because they, don't want, they, they want it for free. So mm. I have no problem with Team UK. I have no problem with most of the people in Team UK. I have a problem with greedy people who consider themselves athletes when they're not, who don't train particularly correctly well, who don't race particularly well, but consider themselves to be elite. Consider, mm. I don't consider myself anywhere an elite standard, right? And yet I am considerably faster than these people without ever run training. And I can do things on an obstacle that these people don't even know is doable, you know? So do I consider them elite? No. Do I have a problem with Team UK? No. I've gone, very, I've gone around the subject so many times because I'm trying not to be harsh to them. Mm -hmm. But most of them are elderly, overweight, unfit people who need status and they need attention. And to get that attention, they go and they tell people they're Team UK and they tell random companies they're Team UK and they get sponsors from gardening companies, from cafes, from, I don't know, hot chocolate manufacturers. You know, they uh, ask anyone for money when realistically they don't deserve the time that they waste of these companies because they're not athletes, they're not representing their countries, they're not credits to their countries. You know, you've got... A team of John, Connor, James, um, who came second, first, whatever your way of looking at it is, yeah. this year. Um, and they're athletes. I'll let them have that. Yeah. I don't know if I class all three of them as elite athletes, but that that's because I have very high, high stringent standards when I look at other sports and who is considered elite in other sports. Mm -hmm. So these people need to calm down. Team UK was about being represented and seen together. Now Team UK is about trying to blag whatever you can. Oh, I'm Team UK athlete. Can we get free upgrade on our plane to Canada? Mate, you're a 45, 50-year-old overweight man. The only reason he needs an upgrade is because he can't fit in his bloody chair. Like, you... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Stop there, stop there. <laughs> oh, so... I was, um, getting, I was getting on it, I was getting on it then. <laughs> it was getting up there. Um, so, basically, why we brought up the Team UK thing was, again, to link back into the future of OCR in the UK. Mm. Um... Having a governing body, as we've said before, might be a good or a bad thing for some people, but 
should there be something out there that actually decrees what Team UK or Team GB actually is? I don't think you'll ever get near Team GB, well, not in, not in the short term, Team GB, because Team GB, if you look at it, is Olympic level, it's international representative level of triathlon, duathlon, you've got pro cards, you've yeah. got qualifications, they're training three times a day. We're lucky if we train three times a month because there's nowhere to train. True, and true. not we, most of these people. You know, I train yeah. three times a day, fair enough. It's not necessarily run training, it's what I enjoy. Yeah. Um, it's training yeah, for the sport. Exactly. Whereas, well, I don't know, I don't even train for obstacle racing anymore. I just train to enjoy myself when I go to ninja centres. Mm-hmm. Um, but these people, they train once. It's ineffective. Their coaches tell them they're great when they're actually doing things that are dangerous. They're not taught well. They're taught by idiots. You know, the only thing a governing body that is, would be good for is regulating coaches. Mm-hmm. We've got coaches out there that are physios that aren't physios, but they still call themselves physios. They're no longer registered. Yeah. I'm not going to comment on why. We've got coaches out there that are in prison now for sex assaults and pushing women downstairs. Yeah. We've got coaches out there who train people in the back gardens without insurance on an obstacle course that's not safe mm-hmm. with concrete slabs underneath a rope climb that goes nine metres high. You know, none of this is safe, but there is no qualification that says you can teach obstacle racing. Whereas in parkour, it is unbelievably hard to get a qualification in parkour. It's expensive and the standard of which you need to be is unreal yeah. because they don't want idiot cowboys teaching you how to do something wrong. No, it's true. And um, I myself, I'm a personal trainer. I've got my insurance, uh, reps accreditation, registered exercise professionals, uh, which is something you have to have if you wish to train somebody as a personal trainer. Um, as you go higher up, obviously, you're looking at people with uh, sports and conditioning degrees, which if you're looking for, say, a Team UK national coach, somebody to teach the Team UK, you're going to look for somebody who has a strength and conditioning degree minimum to be a coach or trainer for that stuff. And to be an actual obstacle course racing coach, like you said, there's nothing out there that is probably Spartan SGX is the only kind oh, yeah, of qualification. Let's look at it. Yeah, Spartan SGX coach that couldn't complete a set of monkey bars at Nuts Challenge. Well played, mate. <laughs> How hard is a set of monkey bars? I'm calling it out there. I'm calling it. <laughs> that's it. But there's a, uh, does a qualification make you a great athlete or a great person at the thing no you've completed the qualification it's the same with PT you will find a plethora of personal trainers who are awful but they've completed the qualification so again having a organisation out there who has stringent uh, regulations and health and safety uh, regulations in place Mm. to train somebody is paramount for the future yes these are the things that I would like to see, especially from a governing body, for to improve the sport as a whole and the safety of the sport and the the level which UK can Compete. perform at. Yeah. So I completely agree. Um, I think that it needs to be done, but the governing body in the UK, we all jump on bandwagons over here and we're all very pathetic over here. You know, <laughs> so what would they do yeah. if you came out and they they released the course and they said this is it? You know. Yes, you don't have to be able to do monkey bars to coach monkey bars. But realistically, if you can't do monkey bars, are you a suitable coach to show someone to break down techniques? I don't think you are. Monkey bars are a very simple obstacle. There are six different ways I could name of doing them, as we discussed yesterday with Benji. Yeah. Um, so 
no, you don't have to be a good coach, a good at it to do it. But when it becomes, you know, as we again we said, you know, you need to be able to identify which way is going to be better in which conditions. If you can't do it, you can't identify that. True. So, I I think that people may enjoy the idea of having a governing body that governs training. Mm-hmm. However, they won't like it when either the governing body will say you're not good enough to coach because everyone wants to be a coach you know how many obstacles now do PT because they once walked a mile um, <laughs> without you know ran a mile without stopping on a course mm-hmm. or they will have no real benefit because the standard of it will be too low because they want people to do it and people will moan so yeah. it will start off too high people will moan like the rig at you know UK champs it's too hard cry 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 they'll bring the standard down and then all of a sudden you know anyone can do it and it's not acceptable Um, and also who do they pick to suggest what's acceptable I don't I mean there's one person in this UK that I reckon is a decent obstacle teacher Um, who would you say that is well I don't want to say that but I mean a Scotty PT got a lot of time for you Scotty I got a lot of time for you Um, I've been doing things differently but I like the way he does things Mm. then you've got other people that I think are absolute morons and idiots Um, you know you've got people charging 100 quid per hour I don't even charge that for PT. That's crazy. I know, I hope not. So, yeah, it's it's worrying because people want this obstacle racing association. They won't like it when they're told they're not allowed to be in Team GB. That will hurt their egos. Mm -hmm. They won't be able to get free bacon. They won't like it when they're told they're not good enough to be a coach when realistically they're not. So, paradox of choice. You think you want it, but you won't like it when it comes along. Yeah, it's true. But at the end of the day, to bring the sport up, and in this country to progress us to mm. more of an international level some people might have to fall off the wagon to get us there mate we both know I'd like to kick them off the wagon it's <laughs> absolutely fine um, I don't think they'll let you drive the wagon James. I should be allowed to <laughs> so when I go to Sweden it, it, so people will naturally think that I'm always good at obstacles right because they see me doing things nowadays that are pretty cool sometimes Yeah. it took me two years to do my first set of monkey bars because I had a shoulder injury and couldn't go forward it took me longer to do my ring, like first set of rings, and to do a platinum ring probably another six months. Everyone that taught me everything I know about those three basic obstacles was taught in Sweden. Not a single pit was taught over here. Because yeah. when I go to Sweden, their coaches are ninja warriors. Mm-hmm. Their coaches are not PT, who no. does a little bit of backyard work, or a guy who used to run a race, still has a few obstacles, does a bit of work here and there. Yeah. Their PTs are ninja warrior competitors. Do I think that there is people that would be as good a coaches as them, but can't do what they do? No. You know, if I'm trying to do a four and a half meter flying monkey, do I want a guy that can't do a 1.8 meter flying monkey? Or do I want a guy that can nail a five meter flying monkey to a fingerboard had suspended by chains? Yeah, you want the guy that can do the hard one. Yeah. Which is the level, it doesn't mean that you're going to be doing that, but it means he can teach you the two meter completely at a high standard of coaching because he know what it takes to do the hard version yeah, so it's not always the way this this but... is the weird thing started obstacle racing obviously got taught to do flying monkeys by obstacle racing went into an ob- uh, to parkour class and they laughed at me right and I was a bit like what are you on about I can do a 1.8 meter and then you got Mark so he rocks up does a three and a half meter like there's a bar three meters away sorry yeah. does a backflip over it and then does a front flip straight out. Now back flip, front flip, not necessary for us, fine. But he's just gone over a bar that's three metres in front of him, right? Yeah. We can sometimes struggle to do 1.8 because we don't learn the correct technique. I was mm-hmm. laughed at because I didn't have the correct technique. I still don't have the great technique, <laughs> but I'm learning it and I've had to break it down. Yeah. And do you know why I'm able to break it down? 
because Scott has been teaching parkour for eight years. He's on the governing body. He's a level four, level three coach, mm. which is unbelievably hard to obtain. Oh, yeah. And he can do that. When people come and they ask me how to teach them Flying Monkey, yeah, I can teach them how to do it. But mm. can I teach them to the level he can? God, no. no. Because he can do it. Yeah, that's a, a big difference. And obviously, he knows a lot about how to break down the movements mm. and explain it. And he's yeah. an actual teacher he's a coach yes he's not a trainer he's coaching you step by step through from the beginner stage which is what james started out or he started probably a little bit further on because you knew to do something i would say i started from behind because people i started with at the same time who didn't have bad habits Mm -hmm. are considerably better than me now because they haven't had to spend time breaking down bad habits and rebuilding good ones yeah they've just gone from you know a to b so On this uh, subject of qualifications Mm. and obstacle course racing, um, I recently seen out in Toughest they've just done a certificate for them uh, trainers, which um, would be very interesting. I might actually reach out and speak to them. See, it's pointless. They, I asked if we could, uh, if it could be done over here, and because they're not coming back here, it's not accredited here. It's not. They're not allowing anyone from England to do it. Well, that, that answers that. (laughs) That ruins my next question. No, but I completely Um, agree. But yeah, something like that, or. It would be even good to just see what they teach in that, how they teach it. I saw some of the people doing it, and again, it's very, it's parkour-y in a way, mm-hmm. which you have to be careful about, because if you want to be a parkour, if you want to teach parkour elements, you need to be a parkour coach. Yeah. So you've got to be very careful about your crossover. Um, and, I mean, like, when I run obstacle training sessions um, down at the parkour project, yeah. I do an hour of obstacle technique, Scott does an hour of movement. Mm-hmm. so it's vaults because he's a parkour teacher he can do that I can't no, yeah. and we're very clear with that so he teaches the flying monkeys I don't and I do the rings I do the rigs I do the monkey bar setups etc and I teach different ways of doing that but I, I saw some people that finished the toughest course and again they're struggling to do rings yeah. so might not be the standard is not ideal the best but at least a big uh, organisation like Toughest is thinking about that next step. I know that there are organisations over here doing it. I just don't necessarily agree with no. the way they're doing it. So That's it. But, um, no, that's good. So I think we've covered most of the topics today. Um, from your side, James, is there any, any companies you're working with? Anything you want to chat about from your side? Uh, well, I guess I'm sponsored by Noco, so I should probably say sponsored by Noco. Currently okay. drinking a Noco protein coffee with Luke. Um, so it was quite nice I had a little sip wouldn't let me have the rest no too right um, <laughs> but yeah they're, they're coming out as observation they're nice but I'm not a big plugger of things because I don't respect people that just ram products down your throat, uh, throat. so um, something I would like to quickly go over is um, just a training idea yeah is time under tension mm-hmm. so I know we chatted about this yesterday and so you I want to throw it out there um, we're quite often told in obstacle races to if things aren't going well just hang and just think mm-hmm. or leg lock and if you're not efficient at a leg lock, you'll hang in there for even longer. Okay. Now, what's one of the most effective ways of breaking down muscles? Time, Time under tension. Yeah. So if you're going to the gym and you want to do as maximum damage <coughs> as you can, you do work on time under tension. You increase, or you know, you hold a load for an increased period of time. Mm-hmm. So you destroy your muscles. You get really pumped forearms. But we don't want that in obstacle racing. So when someone tells you, hang off of this, or if a rig's not going well, just hang and just think and then move again in a second. Don't. Do not hold something for a long period of time. Get on with it. Get moving. It takes time. It takes confidence. It takes training. You need to be a little bit stronger. But Jesus Christ, you know, if you get to the, the you know, if you, if you take an hour on the first rig, 
you know, the, the three rigs in a row at the Worlds, weren't there? If you can yeah. count Skull Valley. Pretty much, which was um, uh, pretty tough. Yeah. But it, for me, that was not an issue because I got across the green rig in eight seconds. There's a video of it, you know. Got across the orange rig in about 20 because I completely mugged it up, forgot where the bell was. Um, and Skull Valley, seconds again. Yeah. Whereas some people were hanging off of a rope on the green rig for a minute, minute and a half on their own. Oh, just yeah. on a rope. Of course. So I've used less energy in three rigs than they have in one. Now mm-hmm. I'm more efficient, I'm stronger, I do a little bit more than they do, fine. But when someone tells you to sit there and hang or leg lock, if you even think that you can skip it and move on with it, do. Less time under tension, <clears throat> less time hanging, more energy saved, yeah. more efficient. You need to train it, you need to get used to it, you need to work it. Yes, I've done that. But that's the simplest principle of it. If you sit there and you hang on every single hold for five seconds, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, no. you're not going to finish. And if you finish the first rig, you won't finish the second. And if by some chance you finish the second, good luck on Skull Valley, which is what we saw. People that completed the first two rigs in half an hour get to the Skull Valley and they can't even hang off of a skull, which is a jug hold. Yeah. So a lot of people got to Skull Valley even after I finished, I went back and mm. had a little look and people just burnt out. And yeah. Our forearms were gone, which... There are definitely people who could do it yeah. if they're fresh. Or if that's the only rig they're doing, they could do that. And, and this is the thing. People pre-rig, as stupid as saying ever, um, they go and they look and they go... So, I mean, I'll go and look at a rig and I'll go, well, I'd like to avoid that, but we'll see when I get there. Mm-hmm. I swing past everything I want to avoid, knowing <coughs> that if I don't make it, I can swing back and grab it. Yeah. Whereas people in the UK who were there the day before, they were pre-rigging, they were looking at going, I'm going to use that hold, that hold, that hold, that hold, I won't use that one. And then... In the race, it doesn't go to plan, does it? No. But they're stuck in their own head. They've yeah. got to use that hold. And you saw them do it again and again and again. Ten times. Mate, just grab the hold that you've missed and That's just it. use it. That's it. And it's interesting you mention that if you do swing past something, you'll happily go back and yeah. grab that hold, which I think a lot of people get stuck in the forward motion. Yeah. They think if they can't go forward, they got to hold. No. There's always something behind you that you've probably just released. Yeah. You can regain momentum by going backwards to that ring using the momentum to swing through for for me i meant more specifically that i will swing past you know i'll go to the second hold so i won't get the the hold in front of me i'll go to the one beyond it but if i miss that i've still got one hold in front of me however you're completely right go backwards i've done it before um i in fact in my green rig video of eight seconds seven seconds whatever it was i let go of a hold and was like ah no need that and went back to it and then that gave me the power to swing straight past every other hold that i didn't use so time under tension do consider that if your forearms get tired and you're not strong, and even if you are strong, you know, and you, and you don't normally get tired, in a race, things are different. Oh, yeah. If you can spend less time hanging there, you don't need to. Problem is, coaches over here, they say, just hang, but they don't race themselves. No, yeah. So it's very hard for you to see that, or for them to see that. Um, so, yeah, hang for as little time as you can. Work on getting across a rig as quickly as you can, because realistically, that is the difference between, I mean, that that team race where I got across the rig in eight seconds yeah. the South African guy was miles ahead of us um, and managed to catch him on the three rigs added together because he spent 25-30 seconds on each rig yeah. I spent you know 10 on average maybe um, and that allowed me to fly past him and, and make up a play so it's a difference between that but it's also the difference between your forearm something out and you finishing with a band or not oh yeah it no. is and it just shows that realistically if somebody is ahead of you but your technique and strength on a rig is at a level where you can take it at a faster pace mm. you can catch up people I think I flew through past about three or four people yeah. on the green rig especially at Worlds just because I got there and I 
straight through, got what I needed to, and then I was straight out the other side. Probably took me about 15 seconds, yeah. 12 seconds. But it is a lot of people really focus on like the running speed and they're like, oh, I've got to make it. But your speed on a rig can gain places as mm. it did for you at the Worlds in the uh, in the team race, which yeah. is, uh, is very interesting to hear. Completely. I mean, I neglect running because I don't enjoy it and I get injured <laughs> in my legs quite easily because they're chicken stick thing. But completely what you say there, you need to you need to have an all-round balance. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And if you don't have one, there's no point in having the other. But if, you know, if, I, if I'd been better on rigs a year and a bit ago, mm. I'm glad I wasn't because it ended up making me even better now. But... I wouldn't have lost um, the UK Championship age category to Dave Hall, a good friend. Um, and I, I may have you know, won that. I had quite a long lead going into it, but I just couldn't do the rig. So strength, efficiency, and technique needs to be adaptable. You can't go in there thinking, I know what I'm doing there. Because if it's wet, it's a different technique. Oh, yeah. If it's raining, it's a different technique. If you're tired, it's a different technique. If it's muddy, it's a different technique. If there are a hundred different ways it could be different on every race of course so you need to have different techniques in the bank so strength is an overall thing if you're strong you're strong mm-hmm. but one technique won't apply to somewhere else no it's, uh, it's definitely a good thing to hear and uh, good tips and training advice for some people there ah that's perfect I've got anything else on have I no nothing else on the list to hit today so oh other than ego and safety um, saw a lot of people this weekend putting their feet above their heads when they couldn't even hang on with their hands if your hand's slipping off something like metal bars, don't put your feet above your head because if your hand slip, you're landing on your neck, which is what someone did and broke their neck. So yeah. we'll cover that one quickly. <laughs> Drop your ego, hand over your wristband, carry on, or wait for a leg up if it's a wall. But mm. it's not worth breaking your neck to complete a rig. No, ego uh, needs to be looked at, especially when... Ego in, lifting and ego racing. As I said, yeah, um, especially in dangerous situations. Obviously, if you're putting your feet up on a bar, I think we spoke about it earlier, mm. more likely your feet are going to be muddy and wet mm. because you've been running through mud and water. Yeah. If you put your feet above your head, more than likely they're going to slip. Your legs are tired from running. Yeah. You do not want to land on your neck. Uh, James mentioned earlier that somebody down at Nuts this weekend may have uh, landed on the neck and had quite a serious injury, Yeah. Um, which is never pretty you don't want to see that at a race and you want to try and protect yourself and being safe at all times when racing I think we mentioned it earlier don't we who said yeah. you know if the race is unsafe people will moan but the racers themselves are unsafe it's it's you know if you hurt yourself on the course and you blame that race mm. but it's actually your fault that race could go under so yeah um, I must have seen 20 people wind themselves falling flat on their back yeah. and they and, you know they were the lucky ones because if they'd had a few more degrees of rotation the way they fell if their legs had hung on for a few more milliseconds they're on their neck and we've yeah. seen people with broken necks in america at tough mudder and things have drowned oh yeah so very, uh, don't break your neck it's basically what i'm saying seems pretty obvious but don't even risk it no so, so safety first out on the course yeah i want to see hard hats and vis- high-vis jackets <laughs> you just want the high-vis jacket i do that's it no excellent i think we're gonna call that a wrap there uh thanks a lot for coming on james it's been excellent to chat to you sorry for the hour of ramblings hour and a half no it's good there's some really insightful stuff in there um, and I'm sure we'll have you on another podcast later on to talk probably a bit more in depth about training because yeah. uh, it's definitely an interesting subject and you've got a really out there kind of like your own way of looking at training mm. uh, which I think a lot of other people especially in obstacle course racing don't seem to have the similar kind of thing so yeah. it'd be great to hear more about your uh, your views and your path on training and also you mentioned before when you um 
you failed the UK Championships. Mm. It'd be nice to hear about, in the face of adversity, you came back and changed your training. Don't make it too emotional now. Well, I just wanted to pull the heartstrings. Sorry, don't cry, James. I don't love cry. you, David. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it'd be great to hear about um, like how failure made you change your training and yeah, yeah. become a better athlete. So, no, brilliant. So, where can people find you? What's uh, your Instagram <laughs> handle? Uh, Educated.athlete. There we go. That's educated dot athlete. You can uh, comment straight to James about this show. Abused. It's always welcome and not always replied too kindly. <laughs> no, but brilliant. Thanks for coming on today, James. No worries. Thanks for having me. Spartans, what is your profession? <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to OCR Audio with Luke and Jack. See you next time.